Greetings. Uh, my name is Joko Bothi. Uh, today I'm speaking to Professor Wandia Njoya. Uh, Professor Wandia is a lecturer, an academic, and a social critic. Uh, karibu Professor Wandia to the elephant. Asante. Uh, 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 prof, uh, just uh, as an opening question, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of shifts and changes in the last, cu last couple of months. Of course, we, we have seen uh, President, President William Ruto coming in with his bottom-up a bottom-up economic model and his, you know, his inclusivity to, to, to government uh, and the fight was between, as, as, as he claimed, between dynasties and the hustlers. Mm. And, and not just there, but also in other sectors. We have seen the media, I mean, we saw with the, the pollsters, particularly with the pollsters and the media missing, you know, saying Raila will win. Uh, of course, he didn't win. Uh, with the Supreme Court, what, what they did with, the, with, uh, with how they, 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 they said Lisa Dutu has won the elections. Mm. But we've seen also something interesting I've seen is that increasingly we have seen uh, civil society actors mm. uh, broadly, not, not just NGOs, but broadly even church actors, as you're seeing, uh, church, the church, mm. uh, parts of the media, uh, joining government. If not joining government, are uh, really in bed or close to government. Mm. Especially civil society, when you talk to the NGOs, what, 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 do you, what do you make of this new space that we, we now occupy? Mm, I, think, I think civil society were caught off guard. Um, I think they stayed in the constitutional model, so you're just always policing government and saying you're not following the constitution here, you're not con following it here. And they were unable to talk about the economic conditions under which Kenyans are living and so they missed how important that was to Kenyans mm. and so now when the results came up they just had no explanation for what happened mm. yeah they were they were caught by surprise which was very unfortunate and, and when you mean constitutional uh, model what, what 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 do you mean what, what's that what's that background to what you're talking about when you say constitutional model you see <laughs> okay what happened in the 90s is that you have these people coming, intellectuals coming up from, from different sectors, education, church, um, law, especially. You have these people coming up spontaneously to say, we are finding no space in our own spaces, mm -hmm. but we are discovering that the problem is a political one. So that's why we are coming to the political space to change it. Right. And then now the battle starts for a new constitution. We finally get it in 2010. So ideally what should have happened is that people go back to the spaces that made them come out in the first place. Mm -hmm. But you see, because this was a very long drawn out uh, battle, you're talking about 20 plus years, you have a new generation of actors coming into civil society, but now they are trained only for civil society. So what happens after the constitution is that there's nowhere to go back to so they stay in that space now saying we are here to defend the constitution to make sure that people uh, that the government follows the constitution but the constitution was for the people so they needed to we needed to go back and look at how is the constitution being translated into better outcomes for the people so now when when they when we didn't do that the spaces start crumbling. So I've been talking about education. Education has been in a free fall since actually the same 2010. 
it has been in a free fall. But now when some of us came out to see if we can get support to stop this free fall of education, we found people who are more interested in protocols, uh, international agreements, you know, all these kinds of things. And they had nothing to say what was happening uh, politically to the education system. So that's what was happening in all sectors, that they are not getting how people are struggling mm. uh, in the different sectors, in the economy, in education, in law, in engineering, in all these spaces, they had no answer for, for what was happening in those spaces. So by the time now, people now vote for somebody who wants to disrupt the order, now civil state doesn't know what to say. That's what, ha at least in my view, that's what happened. Mm. And, and I mean, just, I mean, we'll come back to the political space, uh. but in terms of, I mean, we have seen last, 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 last month, because I mean, it was in present for one month now, mm. there's a sense of, uh, you know, carefully using the word, dazed, you know, dazedness, mm. you know. Uh, what, what did you make of this intellectually? Like, is, is it because the, the, the paradigms, real paradigm has collapsed and we, we don't have, ideas and language for a new paradigm, or is that because the ideas that we had previously were not effective? What, what do you make of this, le this level of just a blankness within what we call civil society broadly, and not just NGOs, I say, mm. just, you know... The educated class. Edu exactly, the educated yeah. class. What do you make of this? It's what we were saying the other day. <laughs> I think we were miseducated. Mm. Of course, I, not even, I mean, it's obvious we were miseducated. But the principles on which we were arguing about the Constitution are European principles. European principles which came from fighting against the monarchy. Mm. But we are now in a capitalist, American-dominated empire. We cannot keep on using the, the, the arguments of human rights, especially, and secularism. You can't use those enlightenment principles for this new order that we are in. Mm. So I think, I think that's, that's really what happened, that the paradigm they were in was already falling apart, but they were not noticing because they were stuck in this thing of human rights, because that's anyway what donors are paying for, human rights. So they stuck in that discourse, but uh, people had moved on. Now we are talking about identity and empire. And, and capitalism. So they just didn't have the tools for, for that, which was, it was kind of unfortunate. Mm. Mm. So uh, uh, today we need to tell, I think on Friday, so yeah. that we need to propose for society. Yeah. What are your thoughts around, around this? Me, I was saying we disband. Mm. Not, not be disbanded, mm. but disband. Mm. Meaning we, we tell ourselves, we got the constitution, now we need to see how it works in the different spaces. So everybody goes back to their space. Teachers go back to teaching, lawyers go back to practice, engineers go back, doctors go back to the hospital. But what happened is that even after we got a new constitution, the economic space didn't open up. Mm. So people could not go back to, to where they came from. So now they were not able to know what was happening in the spaces they left behind when they joined civil society. Ideally, what should have happened is that we should have disbanded, gone back to our grassroots or whatever, 
work from there, see how things are going, and then when a new issue emerges, now we are able to come back and re re reorganize. So I don't think we need rebooting. I think we need a, an amicable disbanding and going back to the basics mm. and then building up a new civil society from there. I think D wants a reboot because he was trained in this civil society that is there. He came into government from civil society. So him, he sees civil society as a, a place where you can get policy makers and, and that kind of thing. But I think getting policy makers from civil society is undemocratic. Uh, policy should come from the people. So let them come back and suffer with us in the classrooms, in the farms, in the law offices. Mm. Let them come and see. But one day, one, one could argue that, I mean, mm. civil society, I mean, rightly so, last 20, 25 years, has also, has also pushed for a lot of uh, democratic gains in this country. So mm. disbanding it does, it, does that not leave a kind of vacuum, especially for the kind of context where we live in where, you know, despotism is very, is very, is, is, is not a far-fetched reality for us. Okay, I don't know what you mean by, by uh, the fought for many gains because we could talk about that. But look at, for example, the BBI petition. Mm. See, it was uh, one of the leading figures was Nelson Harvey, mm. who has a practice. Mm. So he's still in the trenches, in the law offices, doing his his law work. When I look at education, we shouldn't have got where we are now if we had uh, teachers being able to speak. But when the teachers, the unions were uh, dismantled, when Socion was being fired, we didn't hear anything from civil society. Those are the people who should have been defending the right of Socion to talk as a union leader. Because the unions are civil society. So I think you're talking about the bureaucratic mm -hmm. civil society where people are paid to be civil society. Mm -hmm. But civil society is also the unions, the teachers, the churches, and what. But those people were not talking anymore. We had left that now to the, to the donor-funded NGOs. So when we try to speak from our positions in uh, the classrooms or in the churches or in the, on the roads, building roads, we are not being heard because the media space is being dominated by the, the bureaucrats of the NGO world. So, so hence, 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 hence that dilemma. So then, mm. so then but then, uh, Wendia, because of how this space has really occupied this, as, as, we, as we talked earlier, that universities are training, training graduates uh, to go work in the, in the NGO spaces, right? Mm. Uh, hotels, you know, hotels, Hotels, a significant chunk of hotel revenues, particularly local hotels, is because NGOs. they do donor, you know, workshops, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, consultancies, you know, consultancies that come through not just the bureaucrats but also within. There's a whole ecosystem. How do you systemically now start dismantling this thing to create something new? Because I think that that will be. I mean, when people are hearing you saying we need to go back, but then there's a whole ecosystem that's been created now tethered to the state in a sense how do we how do we start dismantling that in a, in a sense like what do we do with all these things that just created i think instead of for example if i'm giving the example of education instead of fighting for better education as an ngo fight to defend teachers 
so that teachers can fight for a better education system, which would create more spaces to absorb these people who are coming from the NGO sector. Mm -hmm. The same thing with healthcare. You know, fight for the doctors and the nurses and the clinical officers instead of giving us uh, these policies on universal health care and what. Leave that alone. Let those kinds of political fights be done in the public space, uh, which includes the professionals. So once you, you now expand the ability of the healthcare system to absorb, absorb more medical workers, the education system to absorb more teachers, then you'll be able to come back and get a job with us. But if you start doing what the donors are saying, craft policy for education, craft policy for healthcare, craft this for this, then you are leaving behind a problem that is festering and soon the people at the bottom will just say, enough of this, don't tell us about human rights, we just want the economy to work and then they vote the way you don't expect them to vote. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> As I talk about explaining them to vote, I'd like, yeah. to talk, I'd like to us to move the conversation around, the conversation around religion and the church, mm. which I think is tied to this conversation. Uh, some of, as you said earlier, some of these ideas from Enlightenment Europe were the secularization and the human rights discourse actually that where, you know, human rights, it was tethered out of the idea of a, of a God. It was, you know, staring on the human being. Mm. We're at a point where the current president and his DP are, are very religious in, in person and, and in their public posture that has made many people uncomfortable. Mm. And uh, many actors within different spaces are saying, you know, church is schmoozing too much with, with the state. Uh, the debates around Article 27, that Kenya is a secular state. Is, one is, this, are these arguments helpful? But then two, how, how then do we start, how then do we start articulating proper, proper, a proper discourse that can shed light into this thing such that it's not, it's not where we are for, it's almost the Chinese separation conversation, but to move the conversation forward, saying, okay, how then will we still build a progressive society? You see, and this was where now the problem of what I'm saying, how the, the civil society didn't support theology. It didn't support the development of theology that it comes from the base, from the base of clergy interacting with their congregants. They just wanted the clergy for the mobilization power, but not for their theology. So what has happened is that the churches didn't develop a theology that would empower the public sphere to address some of the issues that we are seeing now. So this, this conversation about secularism is not helpful because the, the, the evangelicals who the president and the deputy are hanging around with, their theology is a hustler theology, meaning, meaning that I no longer have to go to seminary, I don't have to be employed by a, a, a big church with a head office in Nairobi, I can just start a church on my own and grow it from there, I'm answerable to no one. So it's enterprise, it's religious enterprise. Mm. So in that sense, you can't, you can't say that there's a problem of the church and the state in this case because the, the, the economics of evangelical theology are the same as hustler economics. So it's a logical fit. It's not, people are saying that 
I, I don't know, maybe Ruto actually plots it, but I don't think he needs to because it's a logical sequence. If you believe in enterprise, then you're also going to be attracted to people who are doing the same enterprise in in religion mm -hmm. and you'll do it for education and everything else it will be you know it doesn't matter where you're from if you decide you want to preach or if you decide you want to teach then this you just start a church start a school and you're good to go so it's the same it's the same uh, political logic and what we are missing when we are talking about church and state is that we are not seeing that uh, both the state and religion have the same political logic mm -hmm. and even even when you think of it the French didn't do well by declaring their country a secular state mm -hmm. because all they did was to introduce a rupture between the citizen and the metaphysical as you've been saying mm -hmm. so where who occupies that space of the metaphysical in the revolutionary logic the French have never been able to answer that question and that's why now they don't Islam is the biggest religion in Europe, in, in, France. In, in France mm -hmm. because the French never asked themselves, okay, do we need to do away with religion to do away with the church? Mm -hmm. You know, can we have a revolutionary theology that where God is part of the revolution? They they just chose to say for political reasons, let's do away with the church. But now it's not working. It's not working. So it, it does, the secular logic is not helpful and they've been blindsided. Even in America, the liberals who are feasting on European logic, they've been blindsided by the abortion debate yes. because what was needed was a theological argument, mm -hmm. not, a, not, a, not a, um, a legal one. Mm -hmm. So they needed to say, is it true that life begins at conception? That's a heresy. You're basically saying life begins when a man has sex. Mm. But nobody's challenging that. They're saying, oh, the Supreme Court, the this. You cannot challenge a, legal, a, a theological problem with the law. Mm. And even the people who are driving this backlash, they know that. That's why when they go for the Supreme Court, they go there guns blazing, capture it, and then you're left with no theological conversation. Mm. So you can't keep on, you have to fight theology with theology, theology, law with law, you know, politics with politics. But saying we're going to fight theology with law, politics with law, it's not going to work. And, and we need to do the work. And that's why civil society needs to go back, mm. go back to the separate disciplines and start working from there. We cannot fight everything with law, because not everything is a legal problem. So are, are you then arguing that uh, civil society in this regard is part of the problem? That it, it being now together like this can't, you know, like, because, I mean, it's going to do policy, but when a, when a, when a dispensation that theology is being used in a particular way, mm. that it can't now, it needs to go and go back to theology and now, get the tools to do theology. Mm. So are you saying that civil society in this kind of way, it's, it can be a hindrance to the flourishing of the Kenyan people? Okay, let me talk about, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the system. Mm. 
Mm. I think Issa Shivji, the Tanzanian scholar, already warned us, mm. I think in the 90s, that there was a problem. He was saying that if the, the donor community invests in civil society in Africa to prevent us from thinking. That's what he says. Mm. So if you're in civil society, you're stuck with the auditing, public relations, trying publicity, your report writing, you're doing all this miscellaneous work and spending so much time there more than on the actual work. And in fact, his, his argument is that the reason why that is being done is to prevent us from thinking. So I think, which is what he also argues, I think we need to be honest about what the weaknesses of civil society and donor funding is a weakness. If we admit that, then we say, what, is our, what are our options? Our options are to go into the economy, meaning we become teachers, doctors, lawyers, we follow a profession. But I think we all instinctively know there's something wrong with the economy. So now we have to fight for the economy. It shouldn't be only state house saying that we are going to do economic reform. What's our response to his economic reform? I haven't had anybody saying that. I think, I think in fact, D basically had a, had a, he had a cut blanche. Mm -hmm. He said anything and there was no response except, you know, your uh, propaganda, antagonizing what, but nobody ever looked at the substance of his economic platform and said politically, economically, what does Haslanomics mean? To this day, I don't think anyone has the answer. Mm -hmm. And that is such a tragedy. But it's, it's, it's inevitable if we have been spending our time listening to donors, them telling us what we can do and not do. So I think there needs to be a, a reckoning mm -hmm. within civil society and to say um, we need to fight for a fairer economy. We cannot leave only the state in that conversation. That's, that's, that's totalitarianism. There needs to be a response to whatever arguments they are putting forth. And so we need to ask, why don't we have economists who are thinking at that level of D? Why don't we have people who are thinking politically at that level? Because there's nobody. And that's, to me, how that happened is something that we need to ask. Mm. Tied, tied to this one, dear, mm. uh, you, you've, you've, you've often talked about narratives. Mm. Uh, so how do you think narratives have really shaped where we are? Uh, in the sense mm. of particularly public narratives uh, that either either have stifled or they have exaggerated or they have created uh, false or false binaries or kind of kind of conversations that is stifling us to really, in a sense, see see things as they really are. I think what happened is that we focused again to law. We focused so much on media freedom, our journalists being harassed, or what. Those are important conversations. Mm -hmm. But we didn't talk about what are they actually saying. Mm -hmm. And are those, those narratives, are they good for society? Mm -hmm. So narratives like we don't need knowledge, only skills. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, thinking is doing nothing. What we need is action. 
And here action means you are either a politician with access to government funds to do something or you are an NGO that has asked for funds to do something. So there were all these narratives that were discouraging thinking in the public sphere. And so we had the rise of what's your solution? Mm. You know, anytime you say, uh, let's have a discussion about this, the, the thing is you're told, what's your solution? Which is basically saying, shut up. Just do something about it. Don't discuss it. Don't understand it. Don't theorize it. Just do something. So these narratives are the ones that emptied the public sphere. So that now, when we get a new narrative of what the government is coming to do, there was nobody to respond. I mean, even the media have been caught off guard. They've been just singing at us, first 100 days, first 100 days. Mm. What does that even mean? So the narratives that we had that crushed knowledge, which were even repeated for CBC, that we are having CBC because... Our, our education system was too academic, what we need is skills. That idea that Kenyans are not supposed to think is what has been dominating us for the last almost 20 years because it was there even during Kibaki's time. It has been there for 20 years and now we are paying the price where a new agenda has come and we have no response. We don't even know what is happening. So that's how we've gotten caught up in this, this mess. And, yeah. and, and how is tied to, to work, which is something mm. you also talked about. How is this just lack of sense of what's happening around us tied to the idea of work? Hmm. Okay. For me, why I started talking about work was because of this solutionist thing. Basically, we were being told, if you're thinking, you're not working. Mm. And then if you can't do anything society, you're not working. Mm. The only people who work are politicians and NGOs who can get donor funding to do something. Okay? So now what that did was it disempowered the rest of us. All of us who are just farmers, makangas, doctors, you know, doing our little thing here and there, mm. we were not in the conver any conversation because... We don't have solutions. That, that was the language. Mm. So now what happened was that the disconnection, that's how the disconnection happens between politics and the people. Mm. Because th what the people do on a day-to-day -day basis is work. Mm. They are working. They are learning things about work. They are learning society through the work that they do. So once you disconnect and you say the only people who work are those with solutions, meaning those with money and power, then you don't know what is happening on the ground. So that's why I was saying civil society, the best lessons they can learn are by coming back to the ground and working with us or fighting for our right to work and be remunerated for the work that we do. But, you know, just talking about big human rights narratives, that's not where we are. That's not where I am. Me, I'm fighting for kids to not be tortured in the classroom and I can't find a civil society organization that can support me. That's ridiculous. So what are they for? All the CSOs involved in education are supporting CBC. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So um, that's why work is important because work teaches us about society. And it's also where we contribute to society. So 
me, I might not have a big job, I might not be in politics, but I can see my contribution to Kenya through the work that I do. That must be valued for everybody. For the farmer who grows tea, for the pastoralist who is raising cattle, everybody must be seen as contributing to society through the work that they do. And then the civil society, the broader civil society, not the people employed, mm -hmm. but all of us can now fight for the right for people to work and get paid for their work and be recognized and rewarded for their work that they do. So that's the connection. In fact, the, the disconnect is the disconnection of politics from work. Mm. Um, unfortunately, Haslanomics has captured that, mm. but instead of talking about work, they're talking about finance. That's not what we need. We want a recognition of work, not simply money for the work that we do. We also want reward for work that is non-financial. Yeah, like if I'm teaching, I shouldn't be told that I'm teaching useless things and nobody has asked me. To, nobody has come to my class to see that I'm teaching useless things. So why are we saying these things in the media? And we say the same thing about Makangas, we say the same thing about everybody. It's not right. We want our work to be valued. And, that, and politics comes from that space that all of us are working and we want that work to be seen and recognized as contributing so to society. On that note, my dear, thank you so much for joining us here at the Elephant. Asante sana. <laughs>